Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Hey, Danilo from Thinking Critically here. Thinking Critically is a chat show podcast where we take a single concept or idea and discuss what it means within the Dungeons & Dragons framework. Each episode features a different guest from the TTRPG community, and so far I've welcomed actors, designers, and professional DMs. Consider an NPR-style variety bucket of thought-provoking analysis and humorous anecdotes, where we cover all sorts of things, including the nitty-gritty of how to balance encounters, the perception of D&D in popular culture, and the impact it has on mental health. My hope is that each episode helps you get the most out of your sessions, whatever side of the screen you sit on. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and visit me at thinkingcritically.co.uk. Welcome everybody to today's episode. We are super excited to be bringing you the game that we're going to be talking about tonight. We have literally had this on our calendar for about three months trying to go ahead and put this together. So we're really excited to be cracking open Banda's Grove here. But before we dive into that, Glenn, Liwanika, good evening. How are you fine gentlemen this evening? I am doing very well. It's been a long day. I'm glad the nine to five is over and I'm ready to do the thing that I love the most which is talk tabletop games and new games, fresh ideas, fresh perspectives, new rules, new mechanics, but all about narrative. I'm all in. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm doing great too and excited to be here. I have just loved the number of new games we've been able to talk about recently outside of the 5e world. 5e's got a huge share, but there's so much more out there. Yeah. Uh, and the one we're bringing you tonight is it's pretty special. I like it a lot so far and I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, so am I. And I think that's a really great way to describe it, actually, is it is special. It is a very creative, interesting game. It is unlike anything else that we have talked about on our show, and it is distinctly not 5e. So with all of that preamble, let us introduce you to Andy from Pandian Games. Andy, welcome to Tabletop Journeys. How you yeah. doing, Andy? Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's yeah. great to be here. Uh, yeah, I'm doing great. Great. Awesome. Glad to hear it. So we're going to be talking about your game, Banda's Grove, tonight. Before we roll initiative here, can you give us the two-minute pitch on what Banda's Grove is? It could be five. Uh, in a, it, be five. Yeah, two to yeah. five minutes, exactly. Yeah. In a really encapsulated way about what, about what do you want our listeners to know about Banda's Grove? Yeah, okay. So Banda's Grove, the like high-level 
little elevator pitch is that it is a cozy slice of life game where you are building and participating in a community at this quantum convergence of campgrounds from across the universe. So it's got a little bit of like science whimsy to it, a little bit of Animal Crossing, some Outer Wilds, a little bit of Wander Home in there for those who know what those games are. I totally love that you said Animal Crossing because that is what I've been (laughs) thinking about it while listening to the playlist and reading the book almost the whole time. We've got a crafting system. We've got ways to build out the grove, but it's really made for you sit down at a table and you, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to build this, the, it's called Banda's Grove. So you're making a grove. It's the campground and you're going to customize it just to your play group. So it's yours from the start and everybody's invested, but it's GMless. It's mostly diceless. And so we end up using pebbles instead of rolling dice. There's an expenditure system there. That's really cool. But yeah, really, if you want a cozy laid back game where the players can sit around and add their own friction in and you can explore a community and maybe some like weird quantum magical science type environment, then this Bandus Grove is exactly for you. Sounds absolutely amazing. All right. Gentlemen, let us roll our initiative. So pre-initiative yeah. question. Yeah. I've got I got a surprise round. Oh, just okay. to clarify, because of your what you just described in, in the book, as I was reading it, you just said GM lists, which I could easily see it being, but the Ranger character I'm sorry, is the GM light. That's correct. Right? Yep. Okay. Yep. And I will happily delve into what GM light means, because I think it's a really unique take on this in-between of GM heavy games, so your 5e, your Pathfinders, all of that, and then yeah. your GMless games, which are sometimes even more intimidating, and those, your wander homes, right? The ones that yeah. specifically don't have any person running it. Yeah, right. we actually, we just did one. We, uh, we did an, just did an AP for that. <clears throat> Michael Ross from the RPG Academy wrote a game called Action 12 Cinema, where basically you make right. a B movie, like a B rate, <laughs> uh, like, like a B action movie. <laughs> Hilariously right. fun, but that was also oh my gosh, that sounds Thankfully, wonderful. he was on with us. Yeah, thankfully, he was on with us to guide us through, but it was, yeah, it was a ton of fun. You've uh-huh. also now gotten a spoiler alert on my first question. So, <laughs> <laughs> all, right. Look, all right, let's roll initiative and see how it comes up there, Mr. Myers. Yes, sir. Ooh, eight for me. Ten. I'm rocking the seven. All right. Mr. Myers. I did not expect to take it with a 10, but man. Yeah, fun is yours, yeah. We're on load of right. guys. So, Andy, <laughs> as I just teased with the yes. original question and you immediately teased an answer, when you say GM light, what does that mean to Banda's Grove? How much of a PC role does the Grove Ranger take beyond their supervisory duties? Yeah, so there's a really important thing that we did when we built out, and I say we, there's 14 people that worked on Banda's Grove together. So it wasn't just me, it was a whole team of people. But one of the really important things that we wanted to hammer out was this idea that you're not the god of this grove when you quote unquote run the game. You're a facilitator and you take on a role actually as a PC character inside the game called a Grove Ranger. You have your own playbook, you create your own character, you have a character sheet, but you act more as a facilitator, right? Like just a park ranger, like you are there to help the game along, but you also exist at the campground too. You are also a resident, you are also a camper, you live there. And so one of the really cool things that we did is that the person who facilitates the game, they have a character sheet. They have their own playbook inside the book. We have several mechanics for this. So things like when you create an NPC, the NPC is created at the table. 
characters, other characters at the game can create NPCs by spending pebbles. They can write it down on a little camper card or you do do it on a note card. You somehow track who your NPCs are. And any character or any player at the table can pick up that NPC card and act upon their behalf, right? Not just (laughs) the GM. The Grove Ranger is there to help facilitate play. They've read through the book. They're the ones that are looking at what we called quantum events. There are these little mini adventures and they give the initial push at the table. That's their job, but they're not in control of the table. They're not in control of the story. And so that's this in between that we, we tried to strike a balance between GM list where everybody has to be a hundred percent involved all the time and GM'd where one person takes on the burden of creating the whole world themselves and running. And so I think we've struck a pretty good balance. We've run quite a few games and it seems to work. Once the players pick up what it is they want to do, the Grove Ranger fades back from the facilitator task and becomes more and more a player as sessions go on. And that's really cool. That is really cool. Yeah. I love it. It speaks right to the collaborative world building heart of tabletop journeys and the way that we're trying to take the game, not a little bit more out of the storyteller's hands and bring our players and even in 5e to have them helping create more story parts of the world. Yeah. And one of the things that we created was, is this camper orientation course. And for your first play session, so Bandus Grove is meant to be played over multiple play sessions. It is a legacy kind of game. But in your first play session, everybody sits down at the table and you follow this orientation course, basically a game tutorial. And all the players sit around and the tutorial asks you, hey, ask, go around the table. Each person describes what does this place look like? What does this facility look like? Create a new NPC, create three new NPCs, give them this role, act on their behalf, not just the Grove Ranger, but the other players at the table. So it starts off with, hey, we understand this is new. This is different, but we're going to walk you through how to collaborate and build this thing from scratch. And then you get to go play in it for the rest of your play sessions. Yeah. That's absolutely fabulous. So the question that I wanted to dive into here, and I think I picked up some of the influences, not only from the introductory chapter where you said what your influences were, but also in kind of the way the game is built and that's some like powered by the apocalypse type feel to Mm -hmm. it and everything like that. But I wanted you to talk a little bit about what were the influences that for people that don't have the book yet, what are some of the influences that you and your team used to put this game together? Yeah, so very much we used, obviously, Wanderhome. I've mentioned that multiple times. So this idea of a diceless, cozy game, the idea of picking up NPC cards and being able to act upon their behalf very much came yeah. from Wanderhome. That's um, the, very cool, by the way. I love that. That's yeah. I'm already thinking of ways to it's, go ahead and use that. <laughs> so that's, I love the system. As soon as when I was playing with my players for the first time and, and I picked up a new play group and I was like, hey, we're going to try out this new game. It is not like any other like. 5e or anything like that and as soon as i had walked them through it the first time like yeah just pick that up do you want to act on on their do you want them in this scene and they were like yeah and i was like pick the card up act for them and they did and they were just like mind blown holy cow we can just create this stuff and i was like yes so it's really cool (laughs) amazing Uh, yeah but so wander home also a quiet year was a very big influence for us for the mapping perspective so the map takes a really big because this is a world building game 
And so the map takes a really big center focus and we can get into, we now have a really cool mapping system that we released that's a little different from the original release of the game. That is how you keep track of all your details. How do you keep track of your NPCs? We want people drawing on maps, like lay out crayons on the table and start sketching stuff. And so it was very important that we had a good mapping system put in place. And then the Cozy Grove was another big influence, this idea of spirits at the Grove and that you can help befriend them and that gets you some benefits, but also it adds some friction to the game. Like, why are there spirits here? Are they upset? Why? How upset are they? Can we calm them down? And then once we befriend them and we make them whole again, we actually swap out their spirit card for a camper card and they actually join you as a camper at the Grove. Things like that. So yeah, it's very much a thing. And then I don't know if anybody's we don't talk about this much because I don't think it's a very well-known facility, but it's called Meow Wolf's Convergence Station. It is a giant art exhibit in Denver, Colorado. I had the opportunity to visit it. And it was one of the, it and Outer Wilds was the two setting influences. So this idea of being in space and you have this convergence of four different worlds and they're fragmenting together and Banda's sitting here trying to, Banda's job is just to maintain homeostasis for all these fragments that are showing up in his, his quantum realm and making sure that the people thrive and survive. And so those were the influences there for kind of those settings. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. So I'm going to jump in here now that it's finally going last, my initiative. I love the feel that you've already started discussing and uh, the influences you mentioned in the early parts of this book. Right before air, you mentioned what you've been doing for the last year. And it is very clear after hearing that and looking at this, that some of this must be influenced by this time that you spent away from the mundane parts of life and out there doing other things and seeing great places. Am I correct? That's where that's coming from. Is, is that so like you were working on this during that year while you were out seeing the country? Yeah, absolutely. Give a little bit of background. Last year, we sold everything and moved into a 24 foot RV and we traveled the US for that year, all up the East Coast and Maine and all through that. And I've always loved camping. I've always been an avid hiker. I've hiked the section hiked part of the Appalachian Trail multiple times. And so all of my games, minus one, but all of my games have some kind of camp or campground or summer camp style influence. It's a very big part of my inspiration and love is are these outdoor things. And so this idea of this cozy science, sci-fi, fantasy, quantum magic summer camp, essentially, of all of these different cultures and peoples coming together and you can go nature watching. Yeah, we went bird watching all the time. The whole reason my company's name is Pandy and Games is because we used to go hunt out and watch osprey along the East Coast while we were traveling in the RV. And that's Pandy and Halitetius is their scientific name for osprey. So that's where that all came from. Nice. Okay. That's really cool. Excellent. Excellent. So following that, are there elements of the game that are specific to places you've been as like what elements directly come from places you've seen what can you let our audience in on as far as what they're likely to see built in versus created by players of the game so they have an idea of what they're going to be looking at so probably a lot of the influence 
that they'll see that's direct. I try to keep it pretty fantasy or take inspiration from all over the world or even make it like completely alien in that. But the outline or not the outline, but the layout of the book, the feelings, the, for instance, the playlist that's associated with this game, things like that are directly influenced by sitting around the campfire and hearing music in, in the starry nights. The idea of these different facilities the facilities themselves absolutely are inspired by different things that we have been around and done and seen. Even though they're at times they feel you've got the diner and you've got, you know, if you've ever been to a, a national park and you go to their lodge and you walk into their diner, you know exactly what that feels like. You know, there's right. a little campfire over in the corner or something like that. You can smell the cedar. Exactly. <laughs> and so like those little things are absolutely sprinkled throughout the entire book. But I tried to stay away from being like the world of Cluthar is specifically Shenandoah National Park. It's one of my favorite parks. <laughs> but we try to stay away from that and keep it more because we want people to think outside the box when they play the game. And so I didn't want it tied right. to any real world setting, any, anything like that. There's nostalgia and there's vibe, but I think out of all the people that I know that have played this game, only one person has played a humanoid in any fashion that I know. And we've had people that are like, I'm a jellyfish or I'm a starfish or I'm actually a bear that's part mineral, things like that. <laughs> and so I've yet to really ever, and that's great. That's what we wanted is, is this idea of we didn't just want elves and dwarves walking around because we made it seem like, oh, this is clearly the Shire. Yeah. So that's, and so that's, yeah, I think that answers your question. <laughs> Sorry. Um. Yeah, no, no, no. Thank you. That does that's a great job of, of giving that information. Like I said, when it comes to newer games that are not five E clones, audiences need to have an idea of what they're looking at. Yeah. And so that was a perfect answer to go ahead and provide that information. All right. That is the end of round one, gentlemen. Let us uh, grab our dice here and do it again. Big money, no whammies. As the fantastic band Steely Dan said, do it again, right? That's a ten for me. 13. Josh and I are tied at 10. Let's roll uh, again, Mr. Miller. That's 10 again. I'm at 14. I'm going two. All right. All right. So I say Glenn goes first because he rolled the highest the first time around. And Mr. Miller, you beat me. All right. So that means I get to lead off again. Mm -hmm. All right. Lead off hitter. Here you go. And... The current gaming environment, right? A lot of things are opening back up in person. I'm really looking forward yes. to getting back to an in-person game, but they're still not that common. With everything going on, a lot of people are still more comfortable working from the digital space, maintaining events. And honestly, it's just also opened up such a fantastic ability to play with people that you couldn't play with before. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I'm playing with a friend of mine that I hadn't played with since high school, and he lives multiple states away, Luanika. And as I'm looking at, and as I was looking at the mapping system for Banda's Grove and the number of details you have to track for the locations, and honestly, the overall desire, the piece of the game for getting everybody to draw and participate in that part of it. Yep. How does that translate to VTT? Is this a game that is done? through a virtual tabletop reasonably well, or is it harder to run? So it's something that we're working on. It is, we're providing a lot of digital assets. So when you purchase Pandas Grove, you're not just getting a single PDF. It is, you get a zip file and it has a bunch of stuff in there. And one of those things in there is digital assets. And it is something that we are working with some people that are playing Pandas Grove digitally. They're in, in 
they come into my Discord server and they're like, hey, like this has been great, but we're having trouble with this. How do we do this? And I will create things that they can use. So That's this really last, awesome. Yeah. Oh, 100%. This is all about community. So if the community like comes and says that, hey, this would make it easier to play Bandus Grove, I am there to create for them. But one of the things that we just recently did is every PDF that is in Bandus Grove is now form fillable. And then the even the map files are what we have both the PNG files for online play, so you can drop it into your VTT. And then you can also track on form fillable PDFs all the information that you want. Oh, nice. Uh, right. So we're getting there. So I personally never really got into the online play space until very recently. And so I'm at a disadvantage of like, how do I design for this? What do I need to make for Roll20 or other VTTs in order to facilitate really good play? And when we were designing this, it was very much camping is a tactile experience. And so we really wanted to emulate that, knowing that we're in the middle of pandemic from a marketing perspective, maybe that wasn't a great idea, but we wanted this really tactile experience. And so that's why we have creature cards and we have plane, the plane descriptors is a card that you can print out. We have camper cards and spirit cards that you can print out on stock paper and cut up and you can draw on them and you can write that information and have them physically on the table. So all of that's available as PNGs and assets and things like that. But we wanted to emulate all of that, that tactile feel of being out in the wilderness, being camping. It is about having a bunch of stuff on the table. So we're long story short, we are working on creating more content for the online play space. But I feel at this point, I need more feedback from people trying it, which we're already getting. So as things continue along, we are adding more and more. Fantastic. I'll jump in here. And I guess my question is looking at the game and just listening to what we've talked about so far, talk to us about your players, your play testers, the folks who are currently enjoying this game. You mentioned the fact that you need more feedback to know what else to do. How How inviting have you found the gaming community to such a new and fresh idea. The people who have grabbed and read the game and have interest in playing it online have so far eaten it up, which has been really humbling. We've got a gentleman who has played with his children and they actually did an actual playing review. And he ended up creating a like a Google Slides deck that was interactive. And that's what he used for his VTT essentially. Oh, nice. uh, and so things like that and and uh, they've been interacting and, and providing feedback this whole time, which has been absolutely fantastic. And then there's another group uh, on Brambleberry Games, I believe. They are doing um, a live stream actual play as well. And they've been jumping in and being like, hey, like, how should we approach this from a digital standpoint? And basically, I was like, if you give me a bullet point list, I will create assets for you. I will do content for you. But they've been... People have been putting stuff together and throwing up and playing digital games, which is fantastic. I would like to see, I think one of the things that I don't think, I don't know if VTT offers this yet, but give people drawing utensils, throw up the map and give people layers and let them draw on the map. I think that would be a fantastic way of playing Bandus Grove digitally is instead of trying to type everything out or have form fillable and things like that is get onto a some sort of screen share 
where people yeah. can draw the little, they can draw the Grove Rangers hut and they can go <laughs> over to the note line and say, hey, on hex one, fragment one is the, the ranger station and has this detail and still allow that ability. I think that's where I would like to get from a digital perspective is still have a little bit of that. Yeah, Owlbear allows drawing and it is effectively screen sharing. Okay. Um, so Albear Rodeo might be a spot to go. And I believe Josh talked earlier this week that as they're developing their version two, that's going to be a subscription service. Version one is effectively going to be akin to open source. Am I quoting okay. it? Yeah. Version yeah. one is going to stay open source. Version two open is going to be source. subscription. So you might be so. able to build in work or something like that if that's your skill set. That that might be a, nice. a useful way. Like we yeah. love there. I do because I'm not technically inclined. Yeah. So doing a lot of the a lot of the heavy lifting is not to my liking. I don't I find it work, not fun. Whereas Owlbear allows me to very plainly and quickly. So I would imagine as long as you have a hex grid that can go the, like the blank hex grid and you mm-hmm. can put it there, smaller digital assets can be set up and fairly easily and they allow what's the phrase I'm looking for? Not extensions that work. Like you can get extensions to do different things. So I think oh, that nice. might be something worth looking into. Yeah. Uh, and so one thing that we just released recently in the digital pack was the map backgrounds, both in transparent background and our color palette as well background. So that just got recently added to the pack. So it's just an easy, and there's all high resolution, obviously. So it's just an easy, you load up Owlbear and you say, this is my new background and you have the map that's up. Nice. Nice. So... I wanted to talk more about being the resident mechanics guy. I want to talk more about what doesn't a session of Banda's Grove actually look like? You talked about the first session and how we've got the orientation that kind of gets everyone on the same page and everything like that. But what does session two look like? You said that it's a legacy game. It's built to to take place as a campaign, for lack of a better term. So what does session two actually look like? So the core session of a game takes place in phases. We have three phases. It's the quantum event phase the Grove update phase, and the downtime phase. And we look at, as soon as you go through a full cycle, that's one week of time in the Grove. However long it took you, because time is Mm -hmm. weird in the quantum realm, however long (laughs) that took you, that completes one week of time. So if you say, hey, let's play a one-week session, that is one cycle of phases. And how these are all broken out. So let's start with the quantum event phase. Quantum event phase, I think, is actually one of my favorite. It is a miniature event where it is like the most traditional RPG play in the game. So you're in control of your characters. There is some event going on that you need to respond to. And it has some, usually some kind of introduction text. It has some goals that you're trying to accomplish during that event, has a couple of complications, anywhere between two and five complications. And then there are some outcomes that you can trigger, and those outcomes will give you benefits or negations, depending on how well you did during that quantum event. And so it's just really, and each one that's in the book is about 250 words. So these are small. They're meant to be played in 45 minutes to 60 minutes to be able to complete this full adventure. And I love that whole thing because we wanted it to be, we have a bunch of quantum events that we provide, and then the idea is that you're making more at the table with your 
players. Like all the players are sitting around and be like, ooh, the next thing I want to yeah. do for the quantum event is this. Why don't we help this person out? And okay, what's the goal? What are the, some complications that we can come up with? And what are the benefits of doing this? All at the table, done. So that's the quantum event phase. It's a great time to earn pebbles and spend pebbles and use your, your playbook actions. Or if you've earned badges, you can use the actions of those badges to help out. If you have items in your inventory that you've crafted, that's the time to use that stuff. Quantum event phase. And then we jump down to the Grove update phase. This is just a housekeeping phase, essentially, where it's okay. You, on this outcome, we did really well. Everybody gets two additional pebbles. Congratulations, you pass out your pebbles. <laughs> Maybe you need to write something down on your map. Somebody wants to sketch something because after the end of this event, like maybe a new facility came up or something's broken down and they want to draw that on a map. Update yeah. phase is the time to do that. And then we move into the downtime phase. And this, we, you're still your individual character, but we can also zoom out a little bit to the Grove level of actions. And we can do things like you can go crafting, you can go nature watching, and there's benefits to those, obviously. You get these Grove actions. And so you can initiate building a new facility. You can have a convergence event occur. So a new fragment actually appears in the Grove. What is that fragment? What exists there already when it appeared? You can plan an event. So you can start like a festival, or if there's some other special event that you want to start planning for, you can do that. And that's one of these situations this we took from the quiet year so to plan that event or build that facility you set down one of your d6s set to however many weeks it'll take to complete and then after each update phase you go down one die right and then once you hit zero it's done yeah. and you have actions and abilities to speed that along if you want to it costs pebbles it costs actions and you can go that's another thing downtime phase you get each player gets five actions pretty much one action for each day of the week. So you have a limit of actions and then you have your handful of pebbles. And if you're out of pebbles, then you can do things like, I'm gonna go have a cozy scene and cozy scenes earn you pebbles. Or you can, you have a whole list of things that earn you pebbles. So even though maybe you're out of your currency to do your bigger actions, build a facility or some other piece or one of your yeah. actions, there are things that you can do with your downtime actions that that recoup you pebbles that you can then spend yeah. later. So you may not be able to spend them this week, but you can spend them next week after you recoup them in your downtime. Correct. Or during the yeah. quantum event phase. Yep. Yep. This is always sequential where it's like the quantum event phase first and then and then the Grove rebuild phase and then the downtime phase is always in that way? Generally. So it depends, obviously. So however you decide to end one game, you just pick up right back where you were. So if you're in the downtime phase... When you stop one session, you'll pick back up in the downtime phase cool. and then continue right. on. But generally, after you've everybody's taken those five turns, then we start another quantum event phase. Nice. I really like the way the phases were set up. It's like the week at camp. All the action yeah. happens on the weekend. Correct. Yep. Which is your quantum <laughs> event. And then afterwards, you've got to assess the damages of what <laughs> what has happened during this weekend of partying campers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then your yeah. downtime phase is getting through the week before the next weekend event. Yep, exactly. So I always considered the update phase to be like, it's Sunday night, right? You're taking your notes, you're doing, you're getting your meals prepped. And then you have the week to do your gardening and paint the house and all that stuff. And then the weekend shows back up again and all the campers have reappeared and there's events going on and people are staying up too late and they're throwing trash about that you have to deal with and stuff like that. Sure. Love it. 
Awesome. I just got a flashback of us doing our patrol meetings at either Marty's house or my house. Uh, house, Yeah. (laughs) Or something crazy like that. And then we're planning it out. And it's always, we better bring extra peanut butter and jelly because something's going to go wrong with one of these. (laughs) Or when we used to do our big family uh, campouts at Hopeville Glen. And we had that huge rainstorm and it's no one's cooking breakfast this morning. And we all loaded up all our families and all these vehicles and tried to find an open restaurant. We went up the diner and missed it. Yeah, 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 half the county was like out of power, and we literally drove <laughs> across the county, <laughs> like to the opposite side of the county, nice. to get to a, a, a restaurant that had lights. Well, I love this story nice. because this is exactly the kind of stories that I want people to one remember about their own lives, but also create in this game. That's beautiful. Yeah, I remember it's totally unrelated, totally different story. But when I was in in high school, uh, so I, I played in a band in high school, and uh, the three of us in the band all decided to go out camping for a weekend. It was in the middle of New Hampshire. One of us owned seventy five acres or something like that in the middle of the woods, oh, and so we'd go out there. And the drummer in the band had had a paper route, and basically, whenever the back of his Subaru station wagon filled up with papers that weren't delivered, we would drive out to the middle of the woods, and we would basically the newspaper bundles would be our fuel for the weekend. And then, <laughs> then when the paper when when the papers ran out, we would camp back up to Fabian's house, and, and his mom would make us. They're French Canadian, so they'd make us like seven dozen eggs and fifty pounds of bacon, and that's <laughs> after like a weekend of like camping out in the woods. Yeah, it was fabulous. What? No so, poutine. But there was plenty of poutine. Uh, was, <laughs> one time she made seafood quiche, and that was not an amazing experience. I will say that. So I kind of wrap my head around that one, and I'm yeah, not no, it. No, it was, uh, I'm intrigued. Yeah. I love quiche, and I love seafood. I'd try it, but I'll try uh, most anything. Yeah. Have you, have, have I you will seen, try it. Have you ever seen Monty Python's Meaning of Life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the end scene with death when they realized that the cause of death was the canned salmon. It was the salmon like, move. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, so, well, I guess I didn't use fresh salmon. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's my seafood quiche menu. Do you want early access to every Tabletop Journeys episode? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? Or, heck, do you just want to support the show? Join our Patreon today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, or you can make a one-time contribution to the cause. We love doing this show for y'all, and support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. So join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. We have rolled through our two rounds of initiative here. I think we're going to blatantly steal from from new friends of the show, merely NPCs, last night. So if the four of us, Andy, do you have a D20 handy yourself? I do have a D20. Brilliant. So what kind of designer would I be if I didn't have a dice set just always I mean, sitting at my desk? Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. The, the fair, you, you still got to ask. So, yeah. so the four of us are going to roll it. We're going to add it up together and then we're going to pick up whatever page that is in the book and ask you to expound upon whatever was on that page. Like some right. funny anecdote or story about it. So your D20s. 14 for me. 19. 19 11. For 11 for Lee Winika. Four. Four for Glenn. So that's 30, 28, 58. Page 58 of the book. All right. You get to page 58. Uh, what do we got? Cool. So this is the instructor run book. All right. So yeah. tell us about Ooh. the instructor. What's the origin of where the instructor came from and anecdotes, et cetera, et cetera, about the instructor? Yeah. So the instructor. Okay. So here's a little bit of background for why the instructor was included. And we'll also touch on playbooks a little bit too while we go through this. Yeah, that'd um, be great. Yeah. yeah. So 
one of my first experiences going to a summer camp was actually called outdoor education. And it was the seventh grade, take all the seventh graders out for a week. And not only do you teach them curriculum, but you're also teaching them canoeing and archery and stuff like that. We did this in my public school system when I was going through it. The idea of having an instructor at your campground was just, that was, I was like, oh yeah, of course, 4-H camp, outdoor education, instructors, like they, like that's part of being at camp. And so that's where this came from. The idea of the instructor came from. And their big thing, if you are a character that is an instructor, is that you are really good dealing with information, helping people not fail, and generally like interacting with kids or teaching people different things. And that's incredibly important, obviously. So how playbooks work is you have some introductory text at the top, obviously, but you choose two things that you're good at and two things you're not. So you have two strengths and two weaknesses. And the instructor is things like organizing groups of children, explaining simply and clearly. Maybe you're really bad at that. Don't know how you'd be a good instructor, but maybe just <laughs> expound constantly. Leading by example, things like that. I have several college professors who were actually <laughs> right. very good, but they were not good at explaining things clearly. Yeah. But, but it was when I did the office hours afterwards and I'm sitting there talking with them one-on-one -on -one, and there's yeah. that it made sense. And I'm like, this guy's brilliant. He absolutely knows what he's doing and I'm learning so much. It just didn't happen in the classroom. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, that's awesome. Just because just... you are an instructor doesn't mean you're a, Good. Correct. <laughs> so then the next thing that the character chooses is either choose or come up with a quirk. And this is, this has actually been really handy. This was taken almost directly from Wanderhome's playbook setup because it just works so well. What is this little odd thing about you? And maybe as an instructor, you cite your sources in casual conversation because you just have them memorized for every fact that you know. Amazing. Um, different things like that. You have a loud teacher voice that you use in normal conversation. When I read Have a Loud Teacher Voice, all I heard was the teacher voice from Charlie Brown. And so that's the only way that they can communicate is through like trombone slides, uh, which, which like, I could not shake that thought. I was like, oh, that's amazing. I want to play that character that can only communicate with trombone slides. So. I was going to say, with yeah. the fact that all of these creatures are alien to each other from across yeah. the universe, that would be a right. great interpretation of that. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Um, Sorry. Yeah. So yeah, you also have your most precious tool. So these are things like a whistle, your textbook, your curriculum plan, chalk, <laughs> things like that. And that comes up in ways that you can earn pebbles, your most precious tool. So there's things that you can do with your most precious tool that will grant you pebbles, but it's something that you generally always have on you that you can reference, be like, oh, I'm going to pull out my curriculum plan and dot, dot, dot. And then we have hobbies and secrets. And hobbies and secrets, I think, are a really interesting mechanic that we've put in here. Whenever anybody talks to you about your hobby or participates in your hobby, they earn a pebble. That's that's how that works. Your secret is if you ever act based upon, if you ever let your secret control you or you confide your secret in someone, you earn a pebble. So mm, there's, this, okay. there's this opposite, right? If I take the time to learn your hobby and I say, Hey, do you want to like, do you mind if I play badminton with you? I hear that your hobby, I gain a pebble for taking interest in you like that. Whereas your secret is a way for you to earn pebbles by letting it control you or confiding in someone or growing as a person and letting it go, things like that. And that's something that you make up yourself. We don't give you any options. That's something that's very personal at the table. What kind of game do you want to play? So we let you come up with those.
And then the instructor action. So every playbook has three actions. One of the actions is always free. One of them always costs one pebble. One of them always costs two pebbles. And obviously the two pebble one is more powerful. So this one is uh, the instructor can do things like a head count as teachers do when they're out in, on a field trip. You can pick up any camper card. And if they, even if they weren't in the scene previously or defined to be in the scene, they now exist in the scene. They have appeared somehow. And so that's something that an instructor can always do. They can always bring somebody that's been defined into the scene. Knowledge is power. So this one's an expensive action that the instructor can do. And basically they can get information from the Grove Ranger about a quantum event, or they can define a very specific fact that is very true to the game from here on out about the Grove because they're knowledgeable. And then finally, we have a failure mechanic where people can choose to fail. And the instructor has an encouragement action where when they help somebody not fail, it counts as two X towards the success instead of one because they're trained, trained in encouraging people. It's what they do for a living. Yes, you can do this. And so that made sense for that. And every playbook on here has different actions and strengths and things like that. I absolutely love the way the playbooks are designed as a whole. I really picked up on this one, this one element when it came to the quirks. Disturbingly, you always know what's happening behind you. And it just brings me back to seventh grade. My history teacher, my social studies teacher, Mr. Welt, he was so fun. It's such a great teacher. But he had very poor vision, like extremely poor vision. His glasses were huge. <laughs> they were, I don't know, 15 yeah. inches thick. And they were so thick that it refracted. When you're looking at him, it refracted where his eye placement was. So he okay. would be looking straight ahead. And he's actually looking like back here somewhere. And oh he gosh. would like, he would turn to talk to a student. And somebody would do something behind him. And he's, don't do that. <laughs> I, see you. I feel Put that like down. everybody in seventh grade had one of those teachers yeah, <laughs> and, and i'm like how did but and i gave up trying it was like that was actually one of the classes i was probably at my absolute best behave because i'm like <laughs> i can't get yeah. away with nothing in here nothing yeah. far different than the teacher who just threw erasers yeah. if she caught you that <laughs> yeah. there's at least a chance of success exactly but she had good aim <laughs> so on the roll for a page thing I think yes. we have a point we need to clarify amongst mm. the team. Oh, when we roll, are we rolling for page in the PDF or page in the book? Because page See, 58 I in the that PDF actually. is yeah. instructor. Oh, you're but correct. The page in the book is 57. 58 I know. Is I just went, I went to the PDF. I went to the 58th page in the PDF. I, know, I, did, which yeah, the I, just, I, I know. I did 58. Yeah, I, 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 I did too. I realized that halfway through. Yeah. When he was like, oh, that's page 57. And yeah, the beautiful layout of your book, it just says, oh, yeah, nope. Page 57, right there. Page sure does, 57. right there on the bottom left-hand yep. corner. <laughs> and you have to understand, too, Andy, like that's a running joke because so we just put out uh, a book, uh, a, a kind of a companion book to D&D &D 5e yeah. a couple months ago, and the debate about whether or not to put page numbers in it was real. It's only going to be a PDF. Like We're not going to put page numbers on the page. You can't figure out where to put them in, where we're going to put them on the page and everything like that, so we opted not to go ahead and do it. But yeah, that, that I mean, yeah, makes sense. So the, the fact that you have page numbers here is like, oh, yep, no, you've got page numbers. Look at that. So, so. I very much appreciate you guys complimenting the layout of this book because it is 100% Google Docs. Ooh. This okay. is all laid out in Google Docs. It is exported really? to PDF from there. Yes. Fabulous. Um, so it was a lot of work. And yeah. whenever I opened this document up, so the editors that we had working in this, they worked in the document as it looked like this. Nice. And that was actually helpful. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, so thank you. It was that was a yeah. ton I, of work I, doing that layout. Now that you say that, I love that font, by the way. And I'm like, ooh, that looks really good. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. It's very neat and clean. Yeah, I have terrible eyes, and I spend almost my entire existence on a computer. And looking at fonts that are very clean, open, I'm trying to verbally describe something that's entirely visual, but it is, it is so much easier to read and to follow. But, and then knowing that's something you can do on Google docs, it's why I, like I, when I write notes for the games I run, I do it that way too. And I tend to use bullet points and boxes very similarly. So it's a style that really speaks to me. As far as being able to uh, comprehend and follow. And I think that's when you talk about new games that are not a 5e or a D&D clone in whatever edition the rest of the world is playing in. One of the prices of entry tends to be font and how easily it's read. There's some really good games out there. And I've heard and I agree with as soon as they put the typeface on the page and they use a darker page and they used a typeface that was hard. It just became hard to read. And I didn't believe it until you get to about page 20 in a session. You're like, I can't read anymore right now. I just yeah. can't read anymore. Yeah. And uh, this is something you don't get with this book. You get something that's very easy to read and quick to follow, quick to pick up. And those are really great. It's a beautiful point of entry for old time gamers and newer gamers who are just looking to find a new experience. I appreciate that. It was a lot of work. We actually went back and forth quite a bit on, we don't have a lot of images in this book. Most of it is text because of the whole Google Docs thing. But we went back and forth a lot with page five in the book, which has an image that's an excerpt from the journal of the head ranger at the Grove, whose name is Ranger Muri. And that's an image because I wanted something to pop off the page, but we kept going back and forth a lot on, on from a readability standpoint, especially for PDF and page readers. And we want print friendly and all this stuff. Should that even be in there? But it's really great to hear that, that you found it very easy to read and it's easy to digest. Yep. Yep. Very much. I love the coffee stain on the letter, by the way. I, I think say, I yeah, like the letter. Thank you. Yeah. It was yeah. a great so, addition. So. We, we had a lot of things. We had a couple of things that we were trying to make handwritten and we had to go through several permutations and lots of things that looked neat until you put them on the page. And then it's, that's going to be hard to read. Handwriting is like, very hard. Uh, it, it, it's difficult. There's a reason why of all the fonts, most of the handwriting ones, they're only good if you're doing a signature file. They're not good mm-hmm. if you're doing a long text yeah, yeah. in it. Yeah. We decided to go with like a 1950s typewriter for everything. Cause originally, yeah, we we're like, Oh yeah. Ranger Mary would hand her. And we're like, no, 1950s bureaucratic park ranger. Yeah. Typewriter. So that's kind of where space font. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You hear the click. Yeah. yeah. And I love also too, like not to harp on the layout too much, but I also love the, like the Boy Scout manual kind of feel to it. It's got like that kind of field manual, like the colors that you chose and the way that you laid it out and everything. Field manual 100%. You you did that very well. So I've lived in many a Boy Scout field manual and several army ones as well. And it does definitely have that feel and that, that flavor, that taste, I can smell the print. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. All right. One Shall more we roll one more? Roll? Yeah, I think we got time for one more here. So let's yeah. do it. Up. 12. Ooh, natural 20. Woo-hoo. Ooh. Doesn't mean 11. Does that count twice? <laughs> it doesn't get double pages. Yeah. 14. 14 for Glenn and Andy? 12. 12. Okay. So that is 20, 45, 57, 50, 57 again. I'll count my 20 twice. <laughs> right. so we'll go to page 77. 77. 77. Yeah, I told you. 
What's on 77? Yeah, so we're getting into the quantum entanglements now. Yeah. The, 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 the quantum events specific. now. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So the one that we get to is Still Waters Run Deep. So tell us about this quantum event. What's What was the genesis behind this one? Is it Still Waters Run Deep? Nope. It's no. a sign of their passing. <laughs> Josh like, is nope. just not good at page sign numbers. Of their yeah, apparently. I Which is the like, real reason why there's no page numbers in the Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> the truth Guilty. is out. Guilty. Uh, out. Yeah. So good at math, bad at counting. <laughs> <laughs> For all the listeners here, this takes us to the page that is one of the built-in quantum events. It is Quantum Event Zero Three, a sign of their passing, is the title of it. And so, just to touch on quantum events real quick is yeah. we wanted to include some pre-written adventures essentially that players could just pick up and play while they're getting the hang of the game and the idea of and stretching their creative muscles to in the moment be able to come up with these their own quantum events while playing which i found only takes about two sessions for people usually after the end of the second session they have so many things that they want quantum events for they're ready it's it's pretty amazing how quickly that players are picking this up but they're meant to be short so every quantum event in this book was written by a different writer. I take that back. There are a couple duplicates, but we had six or seven writers writing quantum events. And, and the reason for that is we wanted, I wanted different perspectives, different ideas, different things. They're people's own vision of what's happening at the Grove rather than just me coming up with, you know, seven sure. to 10 unique things. And this one is actually a really fantastic, a sign of their passing is a really fantastic. You get visitors from outside the Grove who set up a little caravan and they only speak through sign language. And in order for you to interact with them, you need to learn sign language and basically start communicating with them, barter with them. And then your outcome is either the caravan or stay and you can actually add their camp to draw their camp on the map and you can define them as NPCs and different things like that. Or the caravanners decide to move on and so they say their thanks and give their well wishes and leave some gifts and continue to move on. And so I think this actually outlines, this quantum event specifically really outlines an interesting thing with the outcomes. They don't have to be a good outcome and a bad outcome. It can just be two different things that happen. So you get, if the caravanners stay, you get to add them, you get new NPCs, things like that. But if they go, they leave you gifts of crafting ingredients. So they do move on, but you actually get something out of it. So this is, and it all, all of these fit on one page for the listeners out there. I like the concept that not all life lessons are born out of tragedy or great success. Like sometimes they just are, and there are benefits to just living life and having it be. So I like that comes through here. As far as the quantum events, talk to us about building your own. Yeah. Like how, it's, I see the ones you have, and I've read many of the ones that are here. So I have a real good handle on that. I've been an avid camper various times in my life as well. So I have a good sense of the types of events that we're talking about and the types of things that are happening here. But how does one go about creating their own fun events? We're at a table. We're playing the game. What would be the first thing you would do to create What makes a good own? quantum event? Yeah. What makes a good quantum event? So things that happen during the downtime that don't fit into the five actions. For example, I had a character that, or a player that decided to create a spirit. And as we're talking to and interacting with this new spirit during the downtime phase, we learn that they wish they could travel 
the grove through, but they're a water spirit and they normally travel through the underground aqueducts that exist beneath the grove. Somebody spent a pebble to create that detail. So now that's a thing that exists. And we're like, oh, why? And they were, were, were like, we, I don't know. We, I was just told recently that they're dangerous and that I'm not supposed to go in them anymore. That's the time where you go, okay, pause. This is a perfect, do we want to solve this for this spirit? Do we want to find out what happened, what's going on with the aqueducts? Yes. Okay. Introduction. Cleft, the spirit, wants to travel through the aqueducts, can't because supposedly they're dangerous. What are some things, what are the things that we're trying to accomplish? We want to investigate the aqueducts and we want to try to fix why they are suddenly dangerous. Cool. That's our goal. Now we need two complications. One of the complications is none of us can breathe underwater and we need some sort of equipment to do that. Complication one. And then the second complication could be, I mean, you can pick something, maybe alligators. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe one of the creatures that lives in the lake is dangerous or somewhat predatory. Something like that. I don't like no dang dumb gators. Gators are (laughs) bad juju. I don't know why you don't be wishing that (laughs) upon me. Don't be wishing no gators upon me. I had told you about that. Exactly. And so then you quickly, you go, okay, so say that we do succeed in identifying what happens with the aqueducts and we're able to get in there and we're able to find out what happens. What's the outcome of that? The spirit cleft is happy. They are satisfied again. They've become whole actually, and we've befriended them and they become a camper. And when they become a camper, we get something in return. It's called a quantum shard. That's one of the benefits of befriending spirits. And I'll talk briefly about what a quantum shard is for here in just a second. But what if we don't? Well, so Cleft remains upset and we're going to say that because there's now danger in the aqueducts under the grove that we start seeing things around the grove not getting the water they need and they start Mm. wilting or dying. And so maybe we need to take care of that on the next quantum event. The next week that we have available, we go, okay, now we have more pebbles. We have more resources. Maybe we crafted an item during our next downtime phase that was going to help us. And we can go back into that quantum event and go, okay, we're going to give it another shot. We have more information and we can attempt to now get the quote unquote better outcome. So that's something that we created at the table. And it took just about as long as I said, talking it right. And the Grove Ranger scribbles down shorthand notes. And then we go, okay, let's start. And then you've entered yeah. in. Does anybody else want to finish up the, you know, any of their downtime phase events? They finish up that yeah. and then we jump into the quantum event. That's so now, cool. Yeah. So now, yeah, imagine <laughs> that with anything that happens in the Grove and people are going to come up, your players are going to come up with all kinds of stuff, especially after your yeah. session one. Maybe there's a poor widow at the campground and she's lost <laughs> something and you want a quantum event in order to go find that thing, right? Like a classic fetch quest. You could do that. Hundred percent. Yeah. So, real quick, the karaoke's come yeah. in, and all. But the people who are running the DJ thing, all they want to do is play "Picture" by Kid Rock and Cheryl Crow. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Yep. Oh God. And, just like, and it's three o'clock in the morning, and you just can't take it any longer. Somebody's knocking on your door with thirty complaints, and now you got to go confront this person. Dang it. Yeah. For three damn days. This <laughs> just became a game of Cthulhu. What do we do? God, driving me madness. So we have these unique things called blips that exist on the grove, and they are this quantum primordial darkness that can consume a fragment. And it doesn't destroy the fragment. You just don't have access to it. 
any facility that you built on that fragment is not accessible. You have to fix the blip somehow. One of the ways to do that is by spending a quantum shard and that will get the blip back. Obviously, befriending a spirit takes some efforts unless you've planned ahead. You don't have one. So that's what a quantum shard does. It's another reason to interact with spirits and to create a spirit, find out why they're upset, go through the effort of making them whole, befriending them. They become a camper. They give you a quantum shard from the quantum forest, which is another nice. thing that exists at the Grove. That quantum shard, if a blip exists, which you put one on the map at the beginning, if a blip does appear, you can heal it pretty quick. Otherwise, you need to get one from a spirit or you can figure out the root cause of the blip when you define this and you basically have to complete a quantum event in order to right. heal this blip. Andy, thank you very much for coming on here tonight. I'm really looking forward to diving into this book in more details. I've already written down a bunch of notes about how I love the way the game is crafted more than I just I love the way the game is crafted. Some really interesting game craft ideas in here that I want to we do a lot of homebrewing and we do a lot of our uh, of rule generation, everything like that. So I think that I will learn quite a bit from this book going forward. But for our listeners, where can they find Bandas Grove? Where can they find the other things that are uh, that are coming off from Pandion Games? And yeah. what else is coming? What yeah, is what's next, next on your What's next on your plate? Yeah, you can find us at pandian.itch.io. That's where all of our digital games are for sale. You can also get our digital games and in-print games, which we have three of currently at pandiangames.com. And we also have a ton of resources for Bandas Grove, including a couple generators, downloadable character sheets, maps, things like that are just freely available at bandasgrove.com. So it does have its own dedicated website that you can get a hold of. We do have three books for print. We just started shipping those out to distributors. They're available on our website, pandingames.com, but they will also be available through Spearwitch, Knave of Cups, Exalted Funeral, and Indie Press Revolution probably in the next month and a half. They'll go up for sale there. Yeah. And that, we're super excited about that because that was a lot of work to get those <laughs> games going. But yeah, if you enjoy Bandus Grove or what we're doing with Bandus Grove, we do have Badger and Coyote, which is a little duet game, like a lazy sun, play on a lazy Sunday. It's a two-player game, super cozy. Uh, Whispers in the Walls is a horror solo journaling game that's a short session game. It's designed to be played within 15 to 45 minutes, generally. Mm. And then if you're actually out camping around a campfire, we have Storyteller, a campfire narrative system, which is this ad lib play around a campfire horror game where all of the mechanics assume you don't have traditional tools at your disposal. So you don't have dice, you don't have a flat table, you don't have good lighting, you might not be sitting close to each other, you're probably going to be sitting around a campfire. And so it is this really cool, and it's a more traditional RPG, horror RPG, and it uses knowledge-based tasks, skillful or physical 